Welcome to Critical Value, the podcast from the Urban Institute that explores issues of significance for research, policy, and people. I'm your host, Justin Milner. Big data. It's a buzzword, or really buzzwords, that we've been hearing a lot about in recent years. It's pretty nebulous, though, and something that can be a little daunting, right? Like, when you hear big data, you might be thinking about overreaching social media, the loss of privacy, and a world where computers can predict and even manipulate what we do and how we do it. Hello again. Bill Weir, ABC News Nightline. You see that guy down there? His credit card company knows that he will probably be divorced by this time next year because he's buying a lot more teeth whitening and gym time and hotel rooms within his own city. Big data is basically an enormous database, extremely diverse and precise. It can be public like electoral lists or private, information collected by companies via social networks, online purchases or browser history revealing tastes and habits. As nearly everything in our life transitions from the real to the digital world, the more all that stuff can and is being tracked, every like, swipe, tweet, and post, a piece of that digital data puzzle that makes up our online life. So a lot of what we hear about big data is kind of ominous, but today on the podcast, we're going in a different direction. We're going to talk about the upsides to big data and how it can actually help inform the world we live in for the better and solve some of the big problems facing our country. To get there, we're going to hear from three members of the Urban Institute's tech and data team. The definition of big data is a lot like the definition of data science. It means different things to different people. First up is Graham McDonald, the chief data scientist here at Urban. I asked him what big data means and how it can be used in a research setting. The biggest data sources 10 or 20 years ago might have been the you know individual level information about a person and you just have maybe you know, one line of data is one person. And now, you know, we have so much more information available at our fingertips that the rate of data being collected around the world by businesses, by governments is growing rapidly because it's not just about you and one, you know, and your life and maybe your pets and whatever that one line might have been before, but now it's every time you go to a website and purchase a product, then that's one line. And the next line might be you interacting with the government social service organization or you posting a tweet on Twitter or any number of different transactions you go about with online every day. In the end, big data is a byproduct of how we interact with the world in today's connected society. As more of those interactions are captured and recorded through computers, smartphones, and social media sites, the bigger our data footprints become. And yes, we should be concerned about privacy and security in this new digital world, but Graham is a glass half full kind of guy and sees places where big data can do big things. I do see a lot of those negative impacts, especially because big data has originally come from industry trying to solve problems or generate profits, right? And I'm really optimistic because now I feel like social scientists and people doing data for good are really finally starting to embrace this, both from you know how data scientists in companies should better approach the ethics of data science and be better citizens by producing better data science and machine learning algorithms. But also from the social science perspective, we are better understanding the tools that we can use to analyze big data. And therefore, we can use big data and harness it for good we have this sort of opportunity to leverage it to better influence policy decisions, to disseminate it to the people, to run more simulations and get better results and be more proactive as policymakers. 
Understanding and collecting big data sets is one thing, but how do researchers use those data sets to do their work and make that work relevant to the outside world? To understand how big data goes from this abstract concept to a tool for innovative research, we talked to Urban Institute Chief Information Officer Haloud O'Day. Haloud says big data, technology, and good communication strategies can all work together. But I like to look at big data and technology as an ecosystem that is built on three components. It starts with the data as the foundation. Then there's the technology, which is cloud computing, the high-performance computing, those powered technologies that allow you to really do something with that data. And then the third element of that ecosystem that makes the data and big data effective in applying its solutions is really the visualization aspect of it, how you really make it interactive, appealing, understood. So these three components, I think, give you really the how. You take big data and you use the technology and you use new techniques and visualization to really do the policy research. In other words, big data doesn't really work unless you have the computing power to process it and some way to make your results accessible to those who can use it. At Urban, the tech and data team have created so-called virtual machines that have many times the processing power of a desktop or laptop. A virtual machine is basically a cloud-based way to process big data sets for the research, and it saves researchers time, resources, and money. Again, here's Hulud. Today with the cloud, with one line of code or a click of a button, you could have an environment ready for massive analysis. And and actually, we did build similar environment for our researchers here where really, if you're going to, based on the the size of data you want to analyze, what language you want to use, kind of with a click of a button, it almost creates a data center for you and you can run your analysis. And when you're done, you shut it down so you don't really have idle computing power Mm -hmm. that is sitting there, which reduces, of course, the cost of compute, it makes it efficient, reduces time you need. So it's, it's super empowering in, in terms of the capabilities, what you could do. So what can researchers do with the combined power of big data and cloud computing? Graham has two examples. And so the example there is say, you know, you have data source like Twitter, or you have mobile phone data or Facebook data or whatever kind of data that you have that's, that's large, it's real time. So you can understand what's going on now. And you can validate that data against old data. So take the opioid crisis, right? Our gold standard data from the CDC, maybe a couple of years old on opioid death rates. And so we only now know that it's become a crisis when it was clearly a crisis for the communities that faced it a few years ago. If we had been able to use these big data sources, validate them against those CDC data sources, against those government gold standard surveys or data collection efforts, we can then project forward using those big data sources to understand how, you know, for example, opioid death rates are changing over time. And if there's a big spike in our big data sources, well, maybe the exact number that it's projecting isn't right, but the direction probably is because we validated against that data and we understand that we need to do something about it now. And it's a big impact in these areas because we have big granular data at, at very specific geographic levels like neighborhoods. Graham also points to a recent example in Africa using cell phone data. So there's a really good recent example, not in the United States, but in Kenya, about using big data to better understand the demographics of the population in real time. And so this, this study that happened, I believe, three years ago was attempting to use mobile phone data to replicate the country's demographic and health survey. 
they were able to, at a much finer geographic level than you know the normal administrative district, so like a very local town level, replicate the statistics of the underlying gold standard original demographic survey. And the point wasn't that, oh, we should replace this great survey. The point was, hey, now as government policymakers, you can understand at a much more detailed local level what's going on. And you can understand that in real time without spending hundreds of millions of dollars every five or 10 years to get that same information. Big data, I don't think should be thought of as a substitute for what we have now. It should be thought of as a complement. And so we shouldn't eliminate these existing data sources that have spent a lot of effort in making sure that they're accurate and fair, but we should be using big data sources to complement them and make sure they are as accurate as fair and fair as possible and use them to make more real-time, more local, more detailed decision-making possible. Another place where Urban Institute researchers are excited about big data and cloud computing is something called micro-simulation models. These are computer programs that model the impacts of government programs or legislation looking at the potential impacts on people, households, or businesses. And Urban actually has six micro-simulation models that analyze government programs, the tax code, and policy proposals already in place. What we have been historically doing with um, the micro-simulation models is to take a proposal that has been proposed, model it, compare it to baseline, and say what changes will happen if this law is passed or if a variation is passed. Jessica Kelly of Urban's tech and data team helps researchers build and use microsimulation models. Different agencies will put out data, you know, that they can send share with the public. So there might sometimes it's survey data, like the American Community Survey or the, the um, CPS from Census. In the case of the tax policy model, it's a uh, public use file that's put out by the IRS. The next step is to take a set of parameters, so say tax rates. Um, and income brackets, and you take those, and if you want to model current law, then you set them up to be what is known as the law for taxes. So whenever there's a policy that comes out, say the the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it will have certain provisions, and we'll know what those are by reading the proposed law. So if there's a change to the child care tax credit or something, then you can just make those changes to the rules and be done, kind of see what the impacts are. When a policy proposal comes out from Congress or a federal agency, Urban's researchers take the changes that proposal makes to current law and adds them to the microsimulation model. Then the model is run on the individual level, and those results can be rolled up to the state and federal level. In the end, it provides data that can be useful as a prediction tool. But what if researchers could flip the model on its head? What if instead of looking to model a policy proposal to see what the outcome will be, you turn it around and instead decide what outcomes you wanted and use micro-simulation to see what policy proposals would result in that outcome? Urban Institute researchers and programmers believe that's possible by combining the power of big data and cloud computing. Again, here's Jessica Kelly. So where we aspire to go is to say, instead we want to achieve this effect. We want to see revenue of a certain amount and and income distribution in a certain way. And what are the top five ways that that we could get there instead? So that means running lots of different variations of the model instead of just, you know, a handful. 
Basically, by using the microsimulation model in the cloud and doing thousands of runs, researchers and policymakers could potentially see which policy proposals would most efficiently create the specific outcomes they're looking for. Outcomes like equitable taxation or distribution of income or better health outcomes for kids. In this case, the microsimulation model is like a GPS for your car. You plug in your destination of where you want to go, and the GPS will tell you the most efficient way to get there. And what's cool is that researchers don't intend to stop there. Because Urban has six microsimulation models designed for different policy areas, they're hoping to link the models together. And so I think as we add more models, then you sort of open the possibility for putting them together. There's sometimes when we want to look at the full landscape of a policy change. And so that involves running several different models and lots of teams focusing on the the part of the laws that their expertise is in. Um, So the tax policy model contains health insurance information, contains retirement information, and we also have models that do those, those things. And so pulling them all together could be really powerful. So linking Urban's microsimulation models together could help researchers and policymakers see how policies impact different populations in different areas of life. And down the line, this could have a big influence on how policies achieve the best possible results. This is what thinking big about big data can look like. As always, we'll close with some key takeaways. Here are three things you need to know. One. While big data can often mean different things to different people, at the end of the day, it simply refers to large data sets that are collected through our interactions with digital technology. This data can be used by researchers and others to track outcomes and trends in real time and across months and years. Two, technology and big data exist in an ecosystem. Researchers access the big data sets, analyze them with big computing power like cloud computing, and share the results using data visualization tools that help simplify concepts for broad audiences. And three, Urban Institute researchers are exploring ways to harness the power of big data, cloud computing, and microsimulation modeling to examine which policy proposals would most efficiently create the specific outcomes they are looking for. This could have a huge impact on how policy proposals are made in the future. All right, so that's our big podcast on big data. Thanks again to Graham McDonald, Hulud O'Day, and Jessica Kelly. If you like the show, please, please, please tell your friends. Like, I'm not begging here, but I'm asking you to do us a solid and help connect us to other smart, policy-minded folks out there. And another thing, if you can, take a few seconds to rate the podcast on iTunes. We don't really know how these things work, but we hear that it makes a huge difference on how people can actually find this podcast. So if you have a spare 10 to 20 seconds, open up your podcast app and hit us up with some stars. We would truly appreciate it. Thanks to our producer, Dave Connell, sound editor, Riley Byrne, and Katie Smith for all of her help. Our theme music is by Moby. For everyone on the Critical Value team, this is Justin Milner signing off.